compassion on him, and he healed him. Do you understand why he healed the man? I think I do. Perhaps a miracle of healing of some physical disease today is not so unusual. I mean, doctors and hospitals and medical personnel perform many acts of healing and ministry and, and medicine every day of every, on, on the calendar, Sabbath or any other day of the week, 24-7. And so we're maybe not so excited about healings. I mean, so what? I was healed of this or that or what other thing. And outside of Hobby Lobby and uh, Chick-fil-A and maybe one or two other businesses, just about everybody is open seven days a week. I mean, you can buy almost, well, you can buy anything, either online or in person at a store, any day that you want to shop for it. That fact is a common today and is expected. I mean, you expect to be able to go to the store and get what you want on Sunday or any other day. But I'm old enough, and I'm guessing that some of you are as well, to remember something called blue laws. Blue laws meant that stores were closed on Sunday. It was a day of rest, a day of worship. There were no soccer games out in the fields. There were no stores open. You couldn't go to the grocery store or to the furniture store or to any other store. They were all closed. Even hospitals, though they were uh, uh, open for mild emergencies, usually pro pro set off surgeries until Monday. They didn't perform anything except absolute emergencies. And all men and women were home with their families on Sunday. Except my dad, who worked for the light and power company, and everybody wanted to have lights, so he went to work. And there were a few policemen and a few firemen, but even those were skeleton crews, we called them, because it was the Sabbath. It was Sunday. It was a day of rest. What's my point? Well, my point is that not so long ago, within my lifetime, what Jesus did on that day, the Sabbath day, would have been unusual, would have been noted by people. Sunday was a day of rest, a day where there was no commerce. Nothing happened, and the Pharisees were upset that he had done something on the Sabbath. Does that explain why Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? I don't think that's why he did it. I think he was trying to teach them something, and I think he's trying to say something to you and to me today that is important for us to learn as well. First of all, Jesus was asking a humanitarian question, a question that would show compassion and love. He was looking for something in those Pharisees that he never saw. And he is looking for something in you and me that he hopes to see, and he hopes to see more 
and more of each day. He's looking for something in us that makes us notable as christ yuns Yuns who belong to Christ. Yuns. Yuns. Weans. We are Christians. We belong to Christ. Does Christ shine through you into the world in which you live? Outside of these walls? Can people see Christ every day in your life by who you are? and how you act? If you've been paying attention to the lessons and to the hymns that we've sung today, they all speak about that. Every one of them. Great choices. Actually, Jesus healed on the Sabbath seven times. Healings, not miracles, healings. They're all recorded, five of them in Luke's Gospel and two in John's Gospel. Shouldn't surprise us that Luke records the most of all the Gospels of the healing. But of course, we'd call him a physician. And perhaps he was, whatever kind of a physician there were in those days, who did very little healing. So he records the first one in, earlier in that book of his, the Gospel of Luke, that took place in Capernaum. He was in the temple speaking on the Sabbath, the day of rest, and a man came in who had an evil spirit. He spoke out, and Jesus called the evil spirit out of him. Later on, he went to Peter's house and healed her mother-in-law. Do you remember that one? She had a high fever in those days that could be fatal. And he healed her. And later that night, technically at dusk, the Sabbath was over, a large crowd of people came to Peter's house, where Jesus was staying, and he healed them all. How many is it in all? I wonder. Some people try to count how many miracles Jesus did. When he healed them all, how many was that? Jesus showed compassion and care, regardless of the time of day, the day of the week, or whether he had something else more important to do the most important thing to Jesus was people. And it still is. Which is good news for you and for me, isn't it? Jesus cares about people. Today, or again later in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 6, verse 6, a man came to him with a shriveled hand. Do you know anybody who has a shriveled hand? I know a lady who has no arm. She's worshipped with us on another occasion. Which is lawful, he asks, to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save lives or to destroy it? Not only did they not answer that question, which is so simple and so basic and so easy, they became frustrated when he healed the man. How could anyone be angry or frustrated with Jesus for healing somebody who had a shriveled up hand? But it's a good question to ask ourselves, too. Which is lawful, to do good or to do evil? And what's the greatest good that you can do? To share Jesus with someone 
who doesn't know him. Not only then do you save their life for this time, but you save their life eternally by telling them about Jesus on the Sabbath or any other day that you happen to have that opportunity to do good. In Luke 13.10, a woman who had been crippled for 19 years and was bent over at a 90-degree angle came to Jesus while he was speaking in the temple on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were indignant. Indignant is the word. When Jesus healed her, he looked at them and he said, You hypocrites! Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey and, take a donkey and lead them out so they can get a drink of water? Then should not this woman who the Satan has kept bound for 18 years be set free on the Sabbath? Again, not a hard thing to understand for us today. But then it was the Sabbath. It was the day of rest. It was the law of the law of Moses. And they were indignant. In today's text, we hear about a man who had fluid, dropsy. And Jesus asks, if one of you has a son or an ox who falls into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you get him out or would you leave him lay there until Monday? There was no response. They couldn't even answer that question. It's almost ridiculous to think about that, how strict they were regarding the laws and not showing love or compassion. The world we live in has no answer for Jesus either. Have you noticed that? There's no answer for Jesus. They seek to exclude him from our schools. They've eliminated any trace of him in public places. They've twisted the words of the Founding Fathers which guaranteed us freedom of religion and turned it around and made it freedom from religion. The religion of evolution is preached in our schools, but you're not allowed to say the words Jesus or God, who is the true creator of all things. All this and more, an attempt by our world in which we live to rid the name of Jesus from anywhere that you can see him outside of here. Hmm. Is it possible to get rid of Jesus? I have a story. It's about the Soviet Union at the height of the Communist Revolution. They were trying to do that very thing, rid the land of everything that spoke of God and Jesus. And they thought they had succeeded. And a particular communist leader stood up in an assembly and said, we have rid the land of that pagan Jesus, as they thought. And a quiet country pastor got up, came up on the stage, and he looked to the congregation assembled there, and he said, 
Christ is risen. Exactly the response of the assembled group. You see, you can get rid of Jesus, you can take his cross down, and you can throw away anything that looks like Christian, but you can't take him out of the hearts of believers. And so the world will never get rid of Jesus. Jesus uses this occasion, while he's there at the home of the Pharisee, to explain two other things that kind of show who they are and who they are not. He talks to them about humility. Jesus humbled himself, giving up the throne of God and taking on the form of a human being. Why? So he could redeem you and me, lost and condemned creatures that we are, from all sin, from death and the power of the devil, and promised to us life eternal. The great God of heaven does that for you and for me. But they walk into an assembly like this and they walk up to the front and take the seats of honor at a banquet or a wedding or any other thing. And he said, you don't want to do that. We heard it in the epistle lesson. Because then somebody else more important is going to come in and you're going to be looking like a fool. Finally, or one other suggestion he makes about inviting the poor to lunch. He said, when you have a lunch like this, you invite all your rich friends, and they're going to invite you back to their house. What good is that? They're repaying you. Bring in the poor, the lame, those who cannot repay you, and you will be blessed for that. In a few weeks on the 18th, right, we're going to have a church picnic here, and we're going to invite the whole neighborhood. Am I right, Dan? And we hope they all come. And if you come, take the opportunity to get to know some of those people. You might even share with them the faith that brings you here every week. And if some of them are poor, so much the better. That'll be good. Maybe it'll be the best meal they've had all week. Wouldn't that be great? And we were able, by God's grace, to provide it. Wow. Jesus makes it clear that the thing they called religion was a sham. It wasn't religion at all. There was no love, no compassion, no desire to help the needy. In John 11, one of the two miracles or the healings that Jesus records is the greatest healing of all, the raising of Lazarus out of the tomb. He'd been in four days. Listen to what the Pharisees say after that. What are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Oh, wouldn't that be awful? Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's what they were afraid of. They had a system going. As long as they kept it all neat and tidy, the Romans left them alone. But here's this rabble-rouser preaching love and doing good things. They'd lose their place of honor. Today, Jesus asks you and me, 
Are we living lives that imitate Jesus? Does Christ shine through you and me to all we meet? Has Christ's love moved you? As he gave up his life for you, has it moved you to be who he wants you to be? See, we dare not simply sit here this morning and condemn those awful Pharisees. We need to examine our lives. To ask ourselves, are we who we, who Jesus wants us to be? Are we more like Jesus today than we were yesterday? And will we be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today? If not, then we need to ask God's forgiveness. And if by the grace of God you are becoming more like Jesus, then thank God for that opportunity. You see, I think that's why Jesus healed. Why he tells us the story today. He wants to get your attention and mine so we know how we're supposed to act. Did he get your attention? Amen. And now may the grace of God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We rise and join our hearts in confessing our faith according to the words of the Apostles' Creed.